wants our life. I mean, you think of the old song, and it's beautiful when kids sing it, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. See, most people, when you sing it today in a secular context, they, it's like, yeah, we have light and we're going to be great. But in the way it was written, we are meant to be reflectors of light. Jesus is the greater light, and we are the lesser lights that are meant to reflect his greater light. So oftentimes I'll say, Lord, I know that you've forgiven me, Lord. I know that you fill me with your spirit. Will you just clean off my reflector? When Jesus declared he was the light of the world, his followers became a reflection of that light. As Pastor Daniel takes us through Genesis, we'll see how God's creation of the sun and the moon is a gorgeous representation of that truth. As his light reflects off of us, people will see no matter where they are. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 14, with our continuing study entitled, One of the issues with the book of Genesis, for us as we read it today, is that in the writing of the book of Genesis, which was most likely done by Moses, And in the compilation of the first five books of the Bible, which we call the Pentateuch, which means five books, or in Hebrew it's known as the Torah, the law, it wasn't written with all of the debates that modern enlightenment-minded science has in mind. Had Moses penned the book of Genesis or the person who compiled those first five books, whoever that was, Had it been written in the last 150 years, we'd have a lot more details. And I know for me, I kind of wish it was that way. I wish I had all the details that modern science comes up with and what do we do with it. And, and, but it wasn't. It was written a lot longer ago and the, and the purpose of it wasn't scientific. It was pastoral. The Bible is written to comfort a group of people. And one of the ways that we're being comforted through this is the reality that God created everything. Now, I made a point over and over again, this one point, where the Bible remains silent, we should be also. To me, that is maybe the most important biblical principle in interpretation is that. So often, the Bible is silent on something, but we are trying to make it mean something, or we think we need to hear a debate, or or we need to have an answer for a debate, so we infer something that it doesn't necessarily say. And I think that it's important to remember that any time we come up with theology that is in reaction to somebody's bad theology, reactionary theology is almost always wrong theology. We don't want reactionary theology. We want biblical theology. Because God gave us his heart and his purposes in his word. So where the Bible is silent, we're going to stay silent on it. As uncomfortable as that may be. Now, in the first three days of creation, what you find is that the earth, everything is being put in place. On day one, we got the light and the division of light between night and day. On the second day, we got the firmament or that big expanse, which separate the division of the waters, the upper waters and the lower waters, 
And then on the third day, dry land and vegetation with the division of sea and land. And it's interesting that in a lot of ways, what you have is the three first days change the barren earth. It's, it's being put together. And then on the last three days, you get the, the opportunity to see these things inhabited. So there's the firmament, and then on day four, we're going to get the sun and the moon, right? When you have the division of the seas and the land, now we're going to get the filling of the seas, and then we're going to get the filling of the land. And on the sixth day, we're going to get the creation of mankind. So it's almost as if in the first three days, we're getting this all put in place, and then on the second set of three days, you get everything put in its place. It'll be starting to be inhabited today. Now, we made this point that in each of the days, there's a pattern. We get the creative word of God followed by a report of its effect. So God says it, then it happens. Third, we get the evaluation from God that it's good. Sometimes we get that God is naming things. And then finally, we get the numbering of the days. Every single day kind of has that same pattern. And we made the point that God's word is creative. And that maybe is the biggest rub that modern science has with the Bible. That it says, listen, God said it and it happened. And if somebody's presupposition is that God doesn't exist, then they're going to struggle with the Bible. Because God's word is creative. God says it and it happens. And we get this over and over again through these verses. God says it and it happens. Now, let's jump right in into the fourth day, which we're picking up here in Genesis 1, in verse 14. It says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light to the earth and it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, so the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So it's interesting that in day one, you get the existence of light, and then in day four, you get the specific sources of the light. That's what you have. Now you have God filling this firmament that he created and we get these lights. Now it's interesting that he does this to divide the night from the day. So God is placing, in a sense, time into motion. And we have the creation of the sun, the moon, and the stars. Now this is important because he says, let me create the, the greater light to rule the day, which is the sun. And then the lesser light to rule the night, which is the moon. And, and I think it's important because there is a picture in this for us. And it's a very important picture. Because God created the sun to generate light. And that's the greater light. And then the moon, of course, is the lesser light. Now, what's the job of the moon? To reflect the light of the sun. Now, we all know that in the New Testament, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he told his disciples, what? You are the light of the world. 
And don't miss this. Humanity is not meant to self-generate light. This is where the new age, different philosophies, really have, have missed the boat because they say, listen, you need to let your light shine and, and, I, and there's this light within me that needs to break forth. But the Bible teaches something completely different, that Jesus is the greater light. He generates the light and humanity at our best are meant to be reflectors of the light. So the sun is the light generator, not only the S-U-N that we see during the day, but the S-O-N, Jesus is the light generator. We are called to be reflectors of the light. Now, if you watch the, the moon at night, and I, I heard some stories on Facebook that after service, people were going outside, and they were staring up at the sky, and they were saying, mm, this is good, and that means you were listening last week. Because everything that God made, God says, hey, this is really good. God's enjoying what he's doing. See, if you watch the moon each night, you'll notice that the moon changes its shape. I mean, it doesn't change its shape itself, but the way it looks to us changes shape. As the reflection of the sun off the moon changes because the earth gets in the way, right? So depending on where the earth is, in between the sun and the moon, it changes from, I remember a little bit from astronomy class. Uh, I remember things like waxing gibbuses and waning crescents. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google it. I don't even know if I know what I'm talking about. I just remember those things. Different, <laughs> different ways that they describe the moon. But it's interesting that the thing that keeps the moon from reflecting the sun in all of its light is the world gets in the way. And isn't that a phenomenal picture for you and I. Jesus is the light. Jesus wants us to be reflectors of his light in the world. But what gets in the way? What blocks the light of the sun? Jesus from being reflected in our lives. Oftentimes it's the world. And Jesus wants our life. I mean, you think of the old song and it's beautiful when kids sing it. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. See, most people, when you sing it today in a secular context, they, it's like, yeah, we have light and we're going to be great. But in the way it was written, we are meant to be reflectors of light. Jesus is the greater light. And we are the lesser lights that are meant to reflect his greater light. So oftentimes I'll say, Lord, I know that you've forgiven me. Lord, I know that you fill me with your spirit. Will you just clean off my reflector? Whatever the right theology of that is, Lord, just a cleanse afresh so that your light can shine through me and not be hindered by my own worldliness. And I really chalk that up to my own responsibility. You know, there's that old thing of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. God has plans and man, we make decisions along the way. Now, people argue about how that happens. And people have been arguing about that as long as the church has been in existence. And the reason they argue about it is because both sides have great scriptures that point to either God's sovereignty or man's responsibility. I just know on my side of the world, I love Jesus and I can get pretty worldly sometimes. Amen? We all know what that's like, where you love God, but then all of a sudden these concerns of the world, real things, but we stop trusting the Lord and we start focusing on these things and then we start striving for these things. And they're not bad things, but what they're doing is they're not allowing me to reflect the light of Jesus. Isn't that why all through 
Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. It's hard to be light in the world when we're freaking out, stressed out, getting ulcers. So when Jesus says, don't worry, we at that moment say, well, am I going to worry or am I going to not? Am I going to trust God or am I going to think that I have some control over this and make myself sick over it? So it's beautiful here that we get this picture of God creating the sun, the moon, and the stars. It's meant to give light to the earth. The sun is the greater light. The moon is the lesser light. And all that, that's a a reality in nature, but it's also a beautiful picture for us. True biblical spirituality is not self-generating light. It is reflecting God's glorious light in the world. And we have this beautiful picture in nature. So on the fourth day, we get the sun, the moon, and the stars filling the firmament. Now, as we continue on to day five, it says this. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created sea creatures and every little thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind And every winged bird according to its kind. So God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters of the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. So evening in the morning was the fifth day. Now on the fifth day, God now begins to fill the ocean and fill the firmament with living creatures. It seems pretty simple, right? You have to notice this repetitive statement of according to its kind. And I think that for people who want to hold to the modern scientific um, theory of evolution, they have to deal with this part of the book of Genesis, that each one is made according to its kind. Now, what I mean by that is this. The modern Darwinian version of evolutionary theory, and let me tell you this, if you're talking to someone like, well, I don't believe God created everything. I believe in evolution. The first thing you should ask them is, well, what do you mean by evolution? Because when most people say, I believe in evolution, they'll say, well, things adapt over time. And guess what? We should all believe in that because things do. Things over time adapt. That is not evolution, I wouldn't say. Some people would say that's microevolution. I'm like, well, no, that's adaptation. So the reality is, is that if you live closer to the equator, you're going to have darker skin because of the the density of the light that comes. And if you live farther away from the equator, you're going to have lighter skin. That's adaptation over time because your body is created by God to function well in the environment in which we live. But if someone says, listen, I believe that a rat all of a sudden over billions of years put forth wings and started to fly one day. That's a whole other story. And here you get this reality that God created each one according to its kind. Now, I think the biggest issue that science has in trying to prove evolution is the fact that nobody has ever seen a rat become a bird. So if science is literally explaining what we can see, then, of course, at some point, we're going to see it. And that's why I think that when people talk about evolution, you have to call it a theory. Because no one's proven it definitively, scientifically. It's interesting that God created birds according to their kind. 
Like all of a sudden, one day, some fish with gills didn't decide to see what it was like out on the dry land and all of a sudden popped out, got rid of gills, got lungs, got legs and walked around. If you really think about it, the issue would be is if this happens randomly with natural selection over time, right as that fish comes out of the water, before he has a chance to randomly survive, it's going to die. I mean, how do you get almost there? How do you, I mean, can you imagine? No, we couldn't imagine. I can't even fathom this. How would it be possible to have gills that you can grab oxygen out of the water and you kind of have those, but you also have kind of lungs? Do you ever try and breathe underwater? Yeah, you know how that goes. Water fills up your lungs. You get sick. It doesn't work. So how they get this, it's a theory. And it's interesting that we got it with plants. And now we have it with sea creatures and birds, each according to their kind. So what that teaches me is that God created things specifically the way he wanted them. And now, of course, and someone, I'm sure there's some either people here or people who are listening on the internet who are just like, well, come on, you know, it's like an ape and a human are so similar. And I will tell you this. Anybody who's ever created anything uses the same things if it works. Like we're up there playing music for worship, right? I don't have to recreate a new way to play a C because the C sounds good in these three places. So anybody who's designed anything realizes that when something works, you use it over and over again. Like you guys live in houses, right? Anybody live in a house without a foundation? They work, right? So God, being the brilliant designer that he is, realizes that, hey, I can do similar things in similar animals who I create after their own kind because it works. So just because things are similar doesn't mean that one evolved into the other. It just means that God is very efficient in his design process. And once something works, he knows that it can work. And he doesn't need to recreate the wheel every time. And if you don't like that explanation, I'll just use the one of Igor Stravinsky, the great Russian composer, who said, well, good composers borrow and great composers steal. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, look at all the things that men have created that is ph that's phenomenal. You know what I mean? Like, people get all into this stuff with the Bible. Like, oh, God, you know, Jonah in the belly of the fish. Like, how could Jonah survive for three days? Did you ever hear that excuse? For things like, how is it possible? How could Jonah have existed in the belly of the whale for three days? I'm like, do you think that that's really hard? I'm like, listen, humans figured out how to make a boat that could be submerged in water for hundreds of days with hundreds of people. We call that a submarine. If humans can figure out how to do that, don't you think God knew how to do it first? People say, oh, it's impossible. It's not possible for a virgin to bear a child. I'm like, you ever hear of in vitro? You could have a woman who's never known a man. You can take with a little, you know, with a sperm and an egg and a little Petri dish and a lot of money. <laughs> you can put those things together and then they go for a little, a little procedure and, and that thing gets in there. So the virgin birth is impossible. Humans know how to do this. They say, oh, the parting of the Red Sea. You Christians have to be out of your mind. I'm like, have you ever seen a dam? If humans can figure out how to do these things, then if there is a God who created everything, who we've been 
modeled after than he knew at first. These things aren't absolutely absurd, archaic beliefs. It's actually very logical. It's very logical. There's no problem at all. So on the fifth day, simply we get sea creatures and we get birds. Now, we need to notice this real briefly in these verses. It says this in verse 22. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters of the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. Don't miss this. That in creation, God blessed his creation with the ability to multiply. That's kind of a cool thing. That in God blessing the sea creatures and the birds, he blessed them with the ability to recreate themselves. And we're going to talk about that more as we move on in to the next couple of days. So we get the sea creatures and the birds on day five. Then in day six, we get more. Look at what happens here in verse 24. It says this, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. In verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth. And every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So now, in verses 24 and 25, first we get God creating all the cattle, all the creeping things, and all the beasts. So remember, on the fifth day, God created the things in the heavens, the birds, and the things in the sea. And on day six, he puts everything on the earth. Okay, we get cattle, we get beasts of the field, like so domesticated animals. The creeping things are like lizards and things like that. And then, of course, you get the beasts, which are the non-domesticated animals. That's what happens. And then he creates man. And this is where it starts getting really interesting, I think. Because all of a sudden you get this, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Fascinating. It's kind of a strange thing that God would say, let us make man in our image. It's kind of like, you know, God is pulling like a, an NFL wide receiver speaking about himself in the third person a little bit. Jesus is real. I wanted to thank you so much for listening in at Jesus is Real Radio. I am blessed and humbled that you would take the time and you would grow alongside of this. Now listen, the teaching on Christian Radio, it's amazing. Praise God for all the teaching. But listen, just receiving 
God's word is not God's design for you as a disciple. It just didn't say, listen, if you want to be my disciple, I want you to listen to good Christian teaching. Jesus, in effect, said, listen, if you want to be my disciple, I want you to be part of the family of God, the people of God, the church. Now, listen. Believe me, I know church is not easy. There's all sorts of people at church. Sometimes things don't go well. I know for many of you, you probably have church baggage because you got hurt or something went on. But listen, God designed a community of believers, a congregation to be the primary way that we are discipled. And so listen, you need to be involved in a local church. God wants you to be growing with a group of people. You need to be in a church that teaches God's word unashamedly, not one that's going to make excuses. You need to be in a church where the pastor's going to say things that you're not going to like. Why? Because then you go to the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? You need to be in a church with people who are, aren't exactly like you. Because in church, when iron is sharpening iron and you're getting rubbed a unique way by someone who you wouldn't normally hang out with, God will do something amazing. So listen, if you're in the Portland, Vancouver metro area, come join us here at Crossroads. But wherever you are, find a good church, not only because God wants you to, but because God wants you to be blessed there and God wants to use your gifts as a blessing in the people of God. God bless you.